So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. There's a saying that I really love and that I've lived by for many years. It's find a need and fill it. The saying speaks to service, but it also speaks to making room for yourself to grow. And the employees and owners that I've seen become the most successful, they really seem to follow this saying too. You see, they do things beyond what they're paid for because they just need to be done. And they put the mission above their title. And in my observation, when someone does this, the success becomes inevitable. This week's interview really drives us home. Eric and Brent Raber are not only brothers, but they own a highly successful four-location auto repair shop in Ohio. This concept is a theme throughout their story. So if you work with family or trying to level up your shop or give your team better opportunities, then this one's for you. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, sir. Yeah, super happy to have you guys. Uh, So, uh, Eric, Brent, I've known you guys for a long time, uh, and I was really excited. We were were at an event recently, and we'd been trying to do this show for a long time and uh, I'm really glad that finally it worked out. Uh, And I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about because uh, you told me that, you know, so many people have asked you about your guys' dynamic. You guys are brothers uh, and and what that's looked like. And there were so many questions. And so I'm really glad that we're going to have this opportunity for you to really kind of answer those once and for all. Um, and really folks that are in a partnership or have, you know, family in the shop. Uh, I think this will be really cool to talk out. So, uh, thanks so much for, for making this work. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to do it. Glad to do it. Cool. So guys, uh, first off, introduce yourselves. Who are you guys? I'm Eric Raber. Uh, I own ER Auto Care. Uh, we are in the operate mostly out of the northwest uh, quadrant of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we've got uh, ran a single shop uh, through 2020, and yeah, got a hold of the shop fix stuff and went a little crazy with it. So uh, I act as the owner, CEO, CFO, CMO. Almost all the alphabet soup, except for uh, Brent, who takes care of the COO <laughs> stuff. So, um, so yeah. Um, so I'm Brent Raber, um, Eric's little brother, uh, better looking, uh, sometimes smarter. Um, <laughs> but my role is COO. Um, started as you know a technician, same as Eric, and have self-promoted myself to my current position because brothers don't often promote each other. <laughs> there there is good. definitely some truth in there. <laughs> yeah. A little, little bit of advocacy there. That's good. It, and it's so interesting. I mean, you, you know, 
those of you listening, you can't really see, you know, I have a video feed. I can see these guys there in Ohio. I'm here in Tennessee and you guys look really different. I, I it's, you know, when he use blonde, when he has brown hair, uh, Brent, you're sporting a killer mustache, my friend. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so that's funny, man. Well, cool. Uh, so the shops, you are at three locations, correct? Yes. We're three. currently at store three um, and store four soft opening is supposed to be on Monday. Wow. Um, so some challenges to overcome by then. But, yeah, that's where we're at right now. Well, you've done it a couple of times, right? Once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you hey. think you're getting good at it, something changes and you do the next one differently. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll never forget. I, I did a tour of some of the uh, some folks I know in Ohio, uh, some shop owners, and I visited your shop and I couldn't believe how incredibly rural you guys were at that time. I mean, it was literally a gravel road and I pulled up to this shop and I was like, you know, where am I? I, I mean, it was crazy. And so, you know, I always, I actually use you guys as an example. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm rural, you know, I can't grow or I don't know how to market or, or you know, whatever, you know, folks say about being rural and, and you guys crush it in, uh, you know, the rural areas. And it, I mean, definitely you've figured out those different tactics to make it work. So um, you guys are a great example to folks. Thank you. It's Absolutely. not easy. Would not recommend it if you have a choice. Um, but yeah, if you're in that situation already, there is a way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, uh, how, what is the age difference here? Brent, I know you're younger, but. Five years. Five years. Okay. I'm seven years from my brother. Uh, so I know for me, like growing up with that distance, uh, it, it was, it was rocky. Like we did not have a great relationship growing up. What was it like for you guys? So honestly, it wasn't too bad growing up because we just never really did much together. Uh, I was always, especially growing up uh, around farming, stuff like that. I was always off with dad and uh, Brent was just younger enough that he ended up hanging out with mom half the time. Um, so and honestly, until the business came along, we just never did a whole lot. So other than, other than, as he uh, got into high school and started messing around with the shop, he'd come in evenings, weekends with his buddies, and then I'd give him all kinds of bad ideas involving spraying diesel fuel into a old Ford Ranger to make it smoke. They had a stack on it and a whole bunch of other details I'll let Brent get into if he wants to, but um, amongst many other dumb things. But so what happens when you have a 17, 18-year-old and a 13-year-old, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's all par for the course. Brent, you're making some faces. So, I mean, what was it like for you growing up? Um, So I was actually thinking about that dynamic the other day and kind of the same thing. Like, I don't think we, like, we actually never really did that much together. I mean, you know, we did family events, you know, playing softball, um, which I hated because I was a little kid that stood in right field and did nothing. Um, <laughs> I digress. Still hate baseball and softball to this day. Um. But other than that, you know, we never really did a ton, like Eric said, until the business came along. Um, and then as I knew it, you know, that relationship was kind of basically, I don't want to say I always sided with Eric, you know, through the whole, you know, conflict with him and my dad, et cetera. Um, but it, I kind of gravitated more than, you know, more that way because I didn't want to. I don't want to make 40 grand a year for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, along came the business, you know, wanting to do bigger, better, greater things. Um, so I kind of became the mediator. Um, and that, that was difficult, you know, and I feel like that did put strain on Eric and I's relationship. Um, you know, until obviously we started structuring things to do that differently. Yeah, let, let's unpack that a little bit. So I I always love talking about, I always love talking with family-owned shops and, and people, you know, families that are in them, uh, because it, it's always such an interesting story, uh, you know, what it looks like to pass the baton from one generation to the next and, and even a third generation, uh, which is really cool. 
Uh, and so tell us a little bit about the history of the shop. Your dad had it originally, you know, what did that all look like growing up? Yeah. So, uh, dad obviously started it by himself, one man shop in 07. He had a part-time job, um, taking care of a couple of handicapped kids. And there's this farm shop that he could do whatever he wanted with it. And he started out wanting to work on semi-trucks, farm equipment, and all that kind of stuff. Cars was kind of the thing of, oh, they came in, so you worked on them because you had to. And eventually, the truck side of it just didn't keep, didn't grow very well. And now that I have been around a lot of successful truck owner, truck shop owners, I know why, but that's beside the point right now. So I bought into it in fall of 08. Uh, we started out as E and R garage. And uh, then in the fall of 08, we also added in tires. I paid a whole $5,000 for uh, half of the company. That five grand went to buy a tire changer and a balancer. So uh, things went decently well early on. Um, it, was, it was a 50-50 partnership. And it, but it was one of the arrangements where dad's 50% carried substantially more weight than my 50% which it was fine. It's, I was 18 at the time. Uh, all I want to do is learn how to work on cars, stuff like that. Uh, started out, we both like to just do the basic hang parts, that kind of stuff. But then dad always would go do that stuff. And then I was like, well, crap, like this is annoying. So I was like, fine, if he wants to do that, I'll go learn how to fix electronics and stuff like that. And at first, yeah, it took, it took, close to 10 years before dad actually bought into the idea that he could actually work on, uh, the electronics side of things. So, um, anyways, uh, everything went pretty normal. Uh, we got along decently well, uh, through about 2000, 2011, 2012. Um, one of the pivotal things that got me out of a technician mindset was I actually had a former employee uh, give me a book uh, or the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and which is kind of ironic because the gentleman was an employee of ours, and yeah, since not necessarily made any huge strides in it. But I had started buying rental properties in 2011, 2012. Fortunately, re- fortunately, right at the bottom of the market, and so that's part of what triggered him to give me this book. And that's when I figured out, oh wait, like this business can eventually get turned into a form of passive income obviously until you're until you replace until i replace myself as a ceo i'm never actually going to have it as a passive income but you can make it you make good money working 20 30 hours a week instead of 50 60 uh doing work so that's obviously what got me thinking differently and that's where a lot of the tension between uh me and dad started uh then 20 2012, uh, the dad's part-time job uh, came to an end. And as part of that, we had to relocate the shop. That was a big uh, stressful situation. Uh, The original store was a half a mile off the road. There was a lot of people that came to us after we moved uh, because it was on the road. They were like, oh, yeah, we saw you guys back there. And uh, we just were kind of scared to drive all the way back there. So we doubled sales uh, just by moving the store and into 2013. So Eric, you know, what did that conversation look like with you buying into the shop? Was it sort of a natural thing? Cause you were already kind of working there or, you know, did you ask, like, how did that come about? That was actually dad's idea. I think it was largely to get the financing to get the tire business rolling. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't me asking for it or anything like that for sure. Did you want to do that or was it, you know, were you doing it out of loyalty to your dad? No, I honestly, I never even thought twice about it. It was like, it was just felt like the right thing to do. So jumped into it. All right. I do need to add something. Um, Eric made the decision to join my dad full time. Um, he was working at a local Ford dealership um, and was fired, terminated because he left a wheel loose on a car. So in, in full clarity here, it, I left the wheel loose and I backed into two other vehicles. Shop was had a stupid layout, but I still backed into them. So yeah, it was the and, layout. Yeah. It's I don't know <laughs> who lets my a little seven, brother jab. <laughs> I don't know who lets a 17-year-old work at a Ford dealership anyway, but they did. 
Yeah. So did you, were you working there and then your dad asked you to come over or, or, I mean, what did that look like that transition? So the actual timeline, I believe I got fired in like February of 2018 or sorry, 2018, 2008. And at that point I was kind of burned out on it. I was like, all right, I just need to go do something else. Um, I had been, I'd also worked at a, a heavy truck shop um, for a couple months previous to the Ford dealership. I think I went through a phase of like having like five jobs in nine months, like the uh, that atrocious resume you sometimes see come across indeed. That was me. And anyway, then I ended up working uh, for a guy doing concrete overlays uh, as like a decorative concrete type of thing uh, that the rest of that year, sorry, the first half of the year and that kind of uh, came to a halt. It's kind of a seasonal job and about September of uh, 2008. So that's when the buy, the buy-in happened. And uh, yeah. So when you came over to start working for your dad, I mean, one thing that you mentioned earlier is that, you know, your, your dad was making, you know, 40 grand a year. It really wasn't, as, as much of a business, you know, as much as it was, you know, a job. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're in that position, you know, when did you make that shift of realizing, man, I, I, I don't want that. Or was that something that, uh, you know, was a light bulb moment? Like how did you start to realize, man, I've got to make some changes here. Yeah. So one of the key things I for, I think it was a snap on truck, uh, rep that said something about this dealer tech that was making like 80 or 90 grand a year. This was 2008. Like now that's nothing, but it's like back then that was some serious change. You're knocking. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I making like literally making 30 grand a year doing similar work to what they're doing? Like, why can't I make my own business pay me that, especially if I own the thing. So that was, one of the early pivoting moments. Then the next one was the exposure to rich dad, poor dad. Then late, uh, I think it was 2014. Uh, we had a coaching company reach out to us and point out that I shared a PL with them and they straight up told me like, dude, you're leaving a hundred grand a year on the table. I was like, Oh, okay. So then when I presented that to dad, he was like, well, it's not realistic to make a hundred grand in a year. And much less add another hundred grand to what we were already making. So, um, as Brent figured out, that was that one of the things that motivates Eric is you make him a little bit mad, and you better stay out of the way. And that was one of the things that kind of miffed me and uh, got the ball rolling. So you're having these realizations. You know, you're you're realizing now. Wow, there's some possibilities, and you're you know, I mean, eager guy. You're in your twenties at this point, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you're like, dad, we, you know, we, we got to make some changes. I mean, what did that look like? I mean, you, you said initially he was like, you know, it's not even possible, but did you, you know, did he eventually allow you to do those things? Like, what did that look like? So that is where I get myself in trouble. I am a very bullheaded person. Once I figure out what I want to do, I will probably go find a way of making it happen. So 20 late 2014 we actually dad wanted brent to buy into the business as well so dad wanted to sell a quarter of his his part of the business split it in two brent buys 12 and a half percent i buy 12 and a half percent well by then me and dad were butting heads enough because i was trying to lay out the shop different make it more efficient and all that and he absolutely hated it that brent was like uh, uh peace out like I don't want anything to do with it. So I ended up buying dad's 25%. And so then I've got controlling share of the company. So when coaching company B came knocking on the door, I was like, oh crap. It was a very scary moment laid out, especially at that point, a very large chunk of cash. I think it was like 14 grand. And I asked dad about it and he was obviously very opposed to it. I was like, well, I own a controlling share of it. I'm going to go do it anyway. So, yeah, that didn't obviously fly very well. And, yeah. That what what was, did he, I mean, did he, you know, what happened? Uh, yes. So, 
Brent's like, I okay, a, I need to clarify here. I get a phone call. It was 15 grand, by the way. It was, okay. Because I get this phone call and it's dad obviously pissed. And he's like, dude, you need to talk to your brother and get his head screwed on straight because he's going to go spend 15 grand on this coaching thing. And I'm like, what the hell? I don't even I didn't know anything about it. And I'm like, so I call Eric and I don't remember that side of it. I just remember. Yeah. Eric being like, well, we're going to freaking do it. So <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you did it. It sounds like it was like a paid in full thing or something. Um, yeah, it was, it was six months of uh, coaching two in-person event, two, two day in-person events. Gotcha. So you did that. Mm-hmm. What, you know, you're, you're getting all this information. What was it like for you to start to implement some of those changes with now, you know, your dad, like totally skeptical, butting heads with you. Uh, you know, he's trying to get Brent to help, you know, kind of side with him. Like how, how did you actually make progress or did you? Uh, basically we more or less didn't. Uh, Brent by then was working full time. So that helped, uh, start to implement like a basic paper RO system. Here's how you do it. Of course, uh, they were pushing DVIs and all other kinds of stuff pretty hard. They did help me get some basic marketing stuff going and it increased, uh, revenue. I think we did about, we went for about 750 grand a year up into about 900, but made no additional money. Uh, my coach taught me how to calculate my gross profit wrong. I thought I was making a 60% GP and I was actually making a 40. So in automotive math, yeah, you had big old goose egg at the end of the year. Uh, so it was kind of frustrating. Um, I won't mention coaching companies names here, but anyway, but that set up the meeting somebody from a different coaching company group. So led me there and that created the second coaching company created a real dumpster fire because we were starting to ask the multi-location question. Like, okay, what's that look like? What do you do? They're like, well, probably before you, you go open a second location, you just see if you can't get us a uh, 25% net out of the store, which is totally fine. But their version, their way of getting a uh, 25% net out of a store wasn't squashing overhead or increasing volume, it was get a 65% GP and a 65% GP when you're running a very rural store on at the time, I think like a 65 K median income, you're going to royally screw up your business model. Um, I believe at the top, we Brent can confirm this. I think we had 165 or $170 an hour labor rate. And since then, we obviously pulled it back and we just did a couple more bumps over the last six months to deal with inflation. And we're still not back up there. So we ended up hurting our own business uh, through that. But it was on the tail end of that coaching group where uh, many of the famous Aaron Stokes stories started showing up. I met him before ShopFix was a thing and learned more in 20 minutes after one of these coaching group meetings than I did in the entire two days before that. I distinctly remember standing there with my phone, hammering out notes like 17,500 per loaner car in sales, like 55 cars per tech on Euro, 90 on American Asian, and the other laundry lists that most shop owners know like the back of their hand today. This was most of this stuff was completely and totally new. So that, yeah, it's kind of the progression through all that. Dad thought we were crazy in the whole process. Um, when you, at the time, the Wi-Fi in the store was horrible, but nevertheless, bolt on digital DVIs. It was like you sit there for literally a minute waiting on a picture to load, but you can't get anything done. They just made that even more mad. So needless to say, when we came along with the shop fix methods and started running these things on paper, he was all for it. Yeah, it's, it's a little counterintuitive, but but it definitely, you know, definitely works from what I've seen. So, uh, you know, you're, you're now with, with shop fix and you're starting to make some good progress. 
was there a point when dad was like, oh, okay, I get it? Or, I mean, did he continue to fight? Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. So it, at least from my perspective, I'll have Brent chime in on this. It After ShopFix, it started to settle down because it went from attacking him to actually making things work in the business. Needles started to move. And kind of the turning point, or not the turning point, where I knew that it had been flipped is when he came to me and told me, thank you so much for my job. I never dreamed that I could make a hundred grand in a year, which I think it was 20, 2020 or 2021. I forget which year it was that he did it the first time. But yeah, he, in the last year he cranked out 2,600 hours. It's he's the oldest guy in the shop and does the most hours. So this, you can't argue with it. So he's still in the shop. Yes. Yep. All right. Wow. So, Let's let's switch gears a little bit here. I mean, you, you're getting the store; it's growing. When did Brent come online here as you know in, in a bigger role? I mean, were you you were I think wrenching you know kind of this whole time? How did it evolve where Brent became more um, more involved in the uh, operations of the store? What's that story? So. my dad and Eric's communication abilities with people was not great um, to the point where the early phase of the business was literally like you dropped your car off and you said what was broken and then you got a call a couple days or a week later and said hey your car's done come pick it up no one ever called for an estimate approval. It's just like you brought your crap in. You said you wanted it fixed and we fixed it. Now you come pay your bill kind of thing. Um, Talk about assuming the sale. <laughs> Absolutely. Brent, you're like, uh, guys, so what are we doing? Here's the twist. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm working on cars, you know, and I come home from school and who picks up at the end of the day? Most of the customers. So I'm sitting there behind the desk, which the desk is obviously in the shop because you wouldn't have an office, right? Um, and I specifically remember, I don't remember the guy's name. I remember what he looks like and I remember what he drove, but we did a head gasket job on a GMC SUV and he comes in to pick up his car. And granted, I never seen this guy, never talked to him, didn't know what was wrong with his car. And I'm like, you know, sir, your bill's $1,200. And he goes, excuse me? And I'm like, yeah, we fixed your shit. Like, it's $1,200. Like, what, what do you want me to say? Like, sorry, I just got home from school. Like, you want your keys? I need your money. And after that moment, it was kind of like, um, maybe we need to, like, call these people, you know, so they have a heads up. Um, but we didn't know any better. Nobody did. Um, so, you know, I kind of, as I was working on stuff, you know, gravitating towards working with customers, you know, so Eric and dad could keep working. Um, when we, we didn't really have an office, so there wasn't space for a full-time person. So literally the day I graduated high school, the next day I was working um, full-time. Um, during that, we had also moved. Um, that would have been in June of 2013. Um, so we had moved to our second location um, and then we had built out an office and stuff. Um, so I started there full time. Um, 
as an advisor and as we hired more people, Eric was obviously kind of acting general manager and as we were growing the business and stuff, um, he was kind of half technician, half GM and then ended up kind of fluctuating to where he would be gone several days of the week and then I kind of became writer manager um, and then transitioned to manager and current day COO. So with you guys working together, uh, and it sounds like Brent, like your role definitely evolved and, you know, it's really one of these things. It sounds like where, you know, you were stepping into the role that now you were, you know, at some point promoted to, um, but you were starting to do those things gradually. Uh, what was that like for you, Eric, and, and maybe even dad with Brent coming in, he's younger, you know, and, and he's making some suggestions as well. Like, did that get received well, or was that, you know, rough? Yeah. So Brent has an entrepreneurial streak in him as well. Uh, he started out buying uh, his first rental property in high school. I distinctly remember him being super annoyed at how convoluted the process is when you're a minor trying to buy a house. So by the time he actually, <laughs> right. So by the time he actually got in the shop, like we knew he could do his own stuff. He was capable of making things happen. And it, it was just straight up a thing of like, here, finally somebody else that we can trust to go do this stuff, just go make it happen. And we definitely, and even to this day, like when it comes to operations, like if there's an idea that gets presented uh, by me or him, like this idea will go through the shredder. And if it survives, it's probably a half decent idea. And there's been a few that slip past that haven't worked, but for the most part, uh, yeah, it, we end up having a pretty good process. Uh, we trust each other. If one's like, oh, heck no, this is a horrible idea. The other will probably um, not push it uh, through too hard. So uh, like switching shop management systems, um, Techmetric had been on our butts since I think store number 25 that they onboarded. And Brent was like, uh, no, I don't see the value in it at this point. So we never did it. Yeah, implementing some of the earlier systems and stuff um, was definitely difficult even for me to see um, until I started going to some of the ShopFix events. But, you know, kind of drinking the Kool-Aid um, for myself definitely helped. Um, yeah, definitely. It was it was interesting, you know. The relation, going back to the relationship dynamic with Eric and Dad, it really got a lot worse as we started doing more coaching obviously resulting in more changes and stuff. Um, and there was actually a specific turning point. I don't remember the time. Um, I believe it was in 2015 or 2016. Um, and I think this triggered the complete. So Eric had owned 75% of the company at this time. And my dad still had the 25%. I don't remember what the argument was about, but we had, I think, three employees at the time, and there was some big tiff on Friday, and it was it was really bad. Like, I'm up front trying to be positive with customers. They're all pissed about something, and I literally told my brother that night, I was like, you guys need to get your crap together. Definitely didn't say crap that day, but you guys need to get your crap together or Monday, I'm not back. Like, I'm not back for, like, not a week. Like, I'm gone forever kind of thing. So I get a phone call f Sunday night from Eric, and he goes, hey, dude, uh, are we good? You know, you coming tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know. Did you get it together? He's like, yeah, I talked with Dad. You know, we got it worked out. I was like, okay, I'll be there. Um. So that sparked some of the other, you know, conversations going back to the systems and things um, of everybody staying in their lane, um, which transfers, you know, into modern day of how we operate. Um, you know, it took a lot of the conflict with Eric and dad was, you know, you do some of this and I do some of this and they all, you know, all the lanes cross and it's messy and there's accidents everywhere. And 
you know, from that moment, it was kind of like, here's what you do. Here's your role. Here's what you do. And here's what I do. Um, and that's where my brother and I always have specific roles to this day. Um, and that's one of the reasons my father is a technician. Like, and that is his role. There's no, you're special this or that. It's like, no, you were a technician. That's it. Um, you know, and same thing for me and Eric. It's, you know, staying in your lane and, you know, sometimes me more than Eric has to, you know, call the other person out of like, hey, you know, what? why are you walking into one of my stores and saying this, this, and this to the, the store manager? Like, if you have a problem, you don't like something, send me a text, send me an email, a telegram, a smoke signal, whatever, and then I'll go address it with the store. Um, I mean, you're just going back to everybody stays in their lane and that's that's a huge part of the of our modern day partnership success. Looking at the current state, where you know Brent, your COO, you know you have this big turning point, and everyone's like, "Okay, here's the lane," and that I'm assuming that really, uh, I don't want to say always cleared up, but uh, really helped kind of diffuse a lot of the tension and and really allow you guys to grow a little bit more. Uh, you know, smoothly. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. So, so then at what point did, you know, Brent become COO? You know, is that something, Eric, you're like, Hey, you know, you're already kind of doing a lot of this stuff. Let's do it. Brent, did you suggest it? Like, how did that, I'll call it a promotion work. I, there was never a formal conversation that my brother and I had when I went from advisor to manager and then from manager to DM and DM to COO, like literally there was never a formal conversation. It was kind of like, oh, you do those things. And so now we'll call you the store manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with the COO role. I needed new business cards. And so I was like, ah, heck, why not? <laughs> so my new title on my business card was COO that day. And it has been since then. <laughs> So if one day you see a business card with Brent Raver's name on it and says CEO, CEO you might actually question uh, what happened to Eric. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's and that, that kind of brings up one of the one of our weaknesses. We are of German and Swiss heritage, so celebrating things not our strong point at all. It's honestly it's one of our weakest points in leadership. So, yeah. So, well, I don't know. Oktoberfest seems like a pretty big celebration, but <laughs> maybe that's a different kind of celebration. I, th I think that's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But besides that, it's, you know, real stoic, apparently. Yep. Very. Yep. All right. One of the other uh, things that I wanted to talk about is the, and this happened probably a couple of years ago. Eric and I had a more formal conversation about like, why does it work? Like, why does it work so great for you to do what you do and I do what we do and it's all on the same page? And there's a book uh, called Traction uh, by Gina Wickman. Um, is it Gina Wickman? Gina. No, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, and talks about the in order to gain traction, um, you need two people in a company. You need a visionary and you need an integrator. Um, so that's one of my top suggestions for anyone who has a partnership, is considering a partnership, has one that's not working, it's difficult. Um, it talks about what the integrator's role is, what the visionary's role is. Um, and then it also talks about some of the annoyances of, you know, the visionary does this and it really irritates the integrator and vice versa. Um, just kind of gives you um, a lot more awareness um, of what's going on. Um, and then obviously gives you some tips and tricks and things to, to help nurture that relationship between those two. The book uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink was one of the key leadership books that allowed me to understand how the chain of command is actually actually works, where you're not just lead, you're not just sending commands down the chain, but you also have to be willing to receive feedback coming up the chain. That 
was one of the key things that allows, or when I understood that, it's what allowed me to let Brent do what he needs to do and accept negative feedback on ideas that I had or other things that needed to be changed. Yeah, w- without that, I would have been in a pretty tough spot. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it really what I'm what I'm hearing in your story is this theme of really this this evolution over time. It wasn't like, hey, we've got to have roles now and hey, we're going to do this. It was really it sounds like as needed, as the business evolved, you you added on these guardrails and these, you know, different structures, um, which I think is is a really good way to do it because I think so many uh, people, and, and this isn't bad, but it just sometimes I, I think is premature. You know, so many folks will, all right, we're going to have this formal role now and we're going to do this. It's going to look like this. And, you know, it almost, you know, becomes too much structure. Uh, you know, a saying that I really love, um, you know, this is something that actually Aaron Stokes, uh, says quite a bit is, you know, having life before structure. Uh, and it sounds like you guys really did that. Uh, and it sounds like that was a lot of your success. Yeah, for sure. Structure is definitely something that I've had to learn how to like, because I'd much rather be totally unstructured, but you get much past uh, two stores. And if you don't have something, uh, stuff's going to go off the rails really quick. I'm, I'm curious where dad is now in all this. You mentioned earlier, like dad's a tech. That's what he does. Uh, you know, is there a, a plan for him eventually to retire? Does he have any involvement in the day to day or is it totally you know, you guys are running the show. Yeah. So we brought, or for store three, uh, I didn't want to buy the real estate and there was no way we were going to be able to lease it. And Brent's been wanting to get into the commercial real estate game. So him and dad bought the real estate on store three. And then I just leased it from him. Uh, Dad's got a whole bunch of other rental properties uh, that'll uh, set him up pretty well for retirement. Uh, But I'm, we haven't discussed what that actually looks like. It's probably something we should do. So that's, yeah. And then it also gives Brent some kind of ownership inside of the business without getting involved in the day-to-day stuff. Like some of the business financing that we've been doing on deals on source three and four, it's like, I really don't want to have to have another person's financials involved in all this. So, and you get into SBA loans and everybody, they all want personal guarantees on everything. It's just like, it, there's no point in taking that much risk on both parties where if Brent owns effectively nothing in it, if I go under, I don't take him down and uh, the inverse is true as well. How are, you know, from you guys basically being fresh out of high school, diving into, you know, the business and then, you know, ownership and now three about to be four locations. Like how have you guys continued to evolve your mindsets and, and really go from, you know, being in the day to day to over time, slowly really taking on the mindset of owners and true entrepreneurs. How have you guys been able to continue to evolve? Because it really sounds like to me, like you guys, you're not hitting ceilings. You're not hitting mindset blocks. You're just breaking through. How have you been able to do that? I think one of the the big things is obviously, you know, current coaching, um, surrounding yourself with people who, you know, if you're in a room and you're the biggest person, go into a different room. Um, surrounding yourself with people who are doing things much greater than you. Um, but then also just having the, like, literally it just comes down to grinding every day, having that internal mindset of what is possible, um, having big goals. And, you know, one of our goals is to have a thousand shops, um, in this country. And so you kind of base your operations, you know, every decision you make every day is like, Hey, you know, if I do this at store four, can I do it, you know, 996 more times? Um, and it's just a lot of having that mindset every day, really not, not 
believing what's possible, but believing what's impossible. Because um, if you would have told me 10 years ago where I'm going to be today, I would have said you're crazy, absolutely crazy. So just believing the impossible. Yeah, like having a having that vision of where you're going, maybe we don't get there. Maybe we get to 10% of our goal and we hit 100 stores. Even that, like when it comes to operations and being in agreement on what to do, it puts uh, puts things into a much better framework because it makes you second guess uh, the silly micromanaging things that are so easy to do. Uh, yeah, comes down to like, okay, do I, like Brent said, do I want to buy 996 more iPads if you want to do DVIs on iPads on an additional on a thousand stores, that's not just, Oh, this is 500 bucks that no, we're looking at a million and a half dollars worth of iPads or something, whole different mindset uh, on the entire thing that. I think that that, I think that Brent said something really powerful uh, and, and you're, you know, really nicely tying into it, but it's, it's really this concept of, man, I, I don't just have a goal of, you know, the next thing it's, I have a goal that is, you know, uh, well, 996 times what I'm at, where I'm at right now. And, you know, you guys surrounding yourself with people that are saying, yeah, yeah, that's, that's doable. Uh, that's amazing. I, I love that, that your story, you know, isn't like we talked about earlier, this like super structured, here's what happened. It's really... <coughs> It's really this, you know, engaging the right thing at the right time. And uh, I think that that's a lesson that so many people, whether, you know, brother, uh, brothers or, you know, parents and, and kids, whatever, or even just regular partnerships, you know, husband, wife, whatever. I think that's something that's so important. And you guys have really, even though you've had arguments with each other, you know, you've continued to, you know, even though there was hard boundaries set, um, continue to you know, support each other through it. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you guys working so close in the business um, and your dad also being in the business, you know, how does that affect things outside of that? I mean, are you guys close outside of the shop? So I would say that's definitely another thought I had a few days ago, but uh, that's definitely been on my mind um, because of the years that, the partnership existed with him. It's made it, it was more difficult. Um, that's definitely growing. It's definitely something that we're working on. Um, and it's much, much better than it was. It was to the point where, you know, I didn't want to take my kids, you know, over to Pop Pop's house because, you know, Eric and Eric and dad were having a tiff, different stuff like that. Um, and I think that's, it's definitely a lot more positive you know, going from, hey, I don't want to go to a family event to, you know, yeah, I can go and really actually truly enjoy going. One of the rules that we had to implement, uh, I'm not sure, it's been a couple of years now, but we don't talk about business. I think the present time is 6 p.m. every day. So if I need to know something from Brent and it's 6.01, uh, unless it's, stupid, urgent, ain't happening. And it's freeing on both ends because it allows me to stop and have some resemblance of work-life separation. So, I, I love the, the honesty and transparency that that's been an evolution too. Uh, and it sounds like you guys really have started to find some, some tactics and, and some boundaries um, to really be able to not only have a good working relationship, but a good, good friendship, uh, you know, as brothers, you know, outside of that. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared that too. Yeah, that sounds good. My one, uh, my one last little tidbit that I wanted to, to plant with the, uh, partnerships is, uh, we just had this discussion recently, but always remember two people, if, you know, my brother and I are essentially in a boat in the middle of the ocean. It does not matter if I poke holes in the boat 
or if he pokes holes in the boat, we're going to sink. So don't poke holes in the boat. Wow. That's, that's solid, man. I, I think that's amazing advice uh, that, that you guys have lived out. Uh, but that's brilliant. Wow. Uh, make sure that if you're going to take on a partner that you have complementary skill sets, make sure that you're not just the same person. If you're both technicians, there ain't a whole lot of point in doing it. Make sure that they're opposite ends of the spectrum uh, so that you can work together. It's way easier to stay in your own lane uh, as a result of that. Take extreme ownership, own your own stuff. And then one of our favorite things, and it gets us in trouble with our wives, but a, uh, a good plan executed violently is way better than a perfect plan uh, implemented on a weak level. So, You guys are full of some quotes, man. <laughs> it's great. You know, I love that you didn't present a perfect picture. Like, you know, the picture has, you know, had ups and downs and, you know, left and right. Uh, but you guys continue to go through it. And uh, I, I believe that you guys have so many keys that you've left uh, for listeners. So I, I'm you know, very grateful for you guys to be on the show. That said, I have a very important final question for you guys. If you were each a car, what car would you be? Mm, that's a tough one. I'll have to go my my current one. We'll go with the uh, Mustang GT500. That's on nice. my uh, my uh, dream list to hopefully procure in the next two to three years. I love it. I think that's great. I think for me, it'd be a Ford GT. Clearly, right. somebody grew up listening to uh, stories about Henry Ford and such things, so. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You guys have the same same make, just different models. But I think that those models really do speak to uh, your guys's personalities. So uh, those are very good. Well, guys, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so glad we were able to finally get this uh, get the get you guys on the show. And uh, you know, when we get a few more stores, I'd love to have you back on and see how things have continued to evolve. That was my interview with Eric and Brent Raber. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-645-3683. Thanks. Have a great week.